Chapter 7 My slumbers are filled with disturbing dreams. The face of the wet, red-headed girl intertwines with gory images from er earlier Hunger Games. With my mother withdrawn and unreachable and primensimated and terrified, I bolt up screaming for my father to run it as the mine explodes, as the mine explodes into a million deadly bits of light. Dawn is breaking through the windows. The capital has a misty, haunted air. My head aches, and I must have bitten into the side of my cheek in the night. My tongue probes in the ragged flesh, and I taste blood. Slowly, I drag myself out of bed and into the shower. I airily punch buttons to control the control board and end up hopping in foot to foot and alternating jets of icy, cold, and steaming water assault me. Then I'm delude in lemony foam, and I have to scrape off with a heavy, bristled brush. Oh well, at least my blood is flowing. When I am dry and moisturized with lotion, I find an outfit that has been left out for me in the front of the closet. Tight black pants, long-sleeved and burgly tunic, and leather shoes. I pull my hair into a single braid down my back. This is the first time since the morning of my reaping that I resemble myself. No fancy hair and clothes, no flaming capes, just me, looking like I could be headed for the woods. It calms me. Hamish didn't give us an exact time to meet for breakfast, and no one has contact contacted me this morning. But I am so hungry I head down to the dining room, hoping there will be food. I am not disappointed. While the table's empty, a long board off to the side has been laid with at least twenty district a young dishes. A young man, an Avox, stands his attention by the spread. When I ask if I can serve myself, he nods in assent. I load my plate with ba eggs, sausages, batter cakes covered with thick orange preserves, slices of pale purple melon. I have a second place of plate of hot grain smothered in beef stew. Finally, I fill a plate with rolls and sit at the table, breaking off bits and dipping them into hot chocolate the way Peta did on the train. My ma my mind water wanders to my mother and Prim. They must be up. My mother getting ready, getting their breakfast of mush. Prim milking her goat before school. Just two mornings ago, I was home. Can that be right? Yes, just two. And now the house now the and now how the empty the house feels, even from a distance. Did they stay up late last night? About did they stay out late about my? Fairy debut uh, at the games did give them hope, or simply add to their terror what they saw the, reala the reality of the twenty-four tribute circled together, knowing that only one could live. Hamish and Peta came in to bid me a good morning, to fill up their plates, and it makes me irritated that Peta is wearing the exactly same, the exact same, exactly the same outfit I am. I need to say something to Sina. The twins' act is going to blow up in our faces once the games begin. Surely they must know this. Then I remember Hamish telling me to exactly do what the stylist tells me to do. If if it was anyone but Sina, I might be tempted to ignore him. But at last night's triumph, I don't have a lot. I don't have a lot of room to criticize his choices. I'm nervous about training. There will be three days which I, the tributes practice together. In the last afternoon, we will get a chance to perform in the private before the game makers. I thought the meeting the tributes face to face would make me queasy. I turn the roll and I just take in the basket over my hands, but th my appetite is gone. When Hamish has finished several platters of stew, he pushes back his plate with a sigh. He takes a flask from his pocket and 
takes a long pull on it and leans his elbows on the table. So let's get down to business. Train, first of all, I'll, I'll coach you separately. I'll coach you separately. Divide, decide now. Why would you coach us separately, I ask? Say if you have a secret skill you might not want the other one to know about, says Hamish. I exchange a look with Peta. I don't have any secret skills, he says. I already know what yours is, right? I mean, I've eaten enough of your squirrels. I never thought Peta eating the squirrels I shot. Somehow I pictured the baker quietly going off and frying them up for himself. Not out of greed, but because town families usually eat expensive butcher meat, beef and chicken and horse. You can coach us together, I tell Hamish. Peta nods. All right, give me an idea what you can do. I can't do anything, says Peta. Unless you count baking bread. Sorry, I don't, Katniss. I already know that you're handy with a knife. Not really, but I can hunt, I say, with a bow and arrow. And you're good, says Hamish. I have to think about it. I've been putting food on the table for four years. That's no small task, but I'm as, I'm not as good as my father was, but he'd had more practice. I'm better aimed than Gail, but I've had more practice. He's a genius with traps and snares. I'm all right, I say. She's excellent, says Peta. My father buys her squirrels. He always tells her how the arrow never pierces the body. She hits everyone in the eye, but it's the same with rabbits. It's the same with the rabbit she sells the butcher. She can't even bring... She can even bring down a deer. This assessment of my skills from Peta takes me totally by surprise. And first, that he noticed, second, that he's talking me up. What are you doing, I ask him suspiciously. What are you doing? If he's going to be helping you, he has to know you're capable of. Don't underrate you, says Peta. I don't know why, but this rubs me in the wrong way. What about you? I've seen you in the market. You can lift a 100-pound bag of flour. 100 pound bags of flour i snap at him tell him that that's i'm um, that's not nothing yes and i'm sure the arena will be full of bags of flour for me to chuck at people it's not like i'm being a, it's not like being able to use a weapon and you know it isn't he shoots back he can wrestle i tell Hamish. he came in second in our school competition last year only after his brother what use is that how many times have you seen someone wrestle to death says Peter in disgust. There's always hand-to-hand combat. All you need to come up with a knife and at least stand a chance. If I get jumped, I'm dead. I hear, I can hear my voice rising in anger. But you won't. You'll be living up some tree, eating raw squirrels, and picking off people with arrows. You know, my, you know what my mother said when she came to say goodbye, as if to cheer me up. She said maybe District Twelve will have, will finally have a winner. But then I realized she didn't mean me. She meant you. Bursts out, Peta. Oh, she meant you, I say with one wave of dismissal. She said, she's a survivor. That one, she is, says Peta. That pulls me up short. Did his mother really say that about me? Did she rate me over her son? I could see the pain in Peta's eyes, knowing he wasn't lying. Suddenly, I'm behind the bakery, and I can feel the chill rain running down my back, the hollowness in my belly. I sound 11 years old when I speak, but only because someone helped me. Peter's eyes flicker down to the roll in my hands. I know he remembers that day, too. But he just shrugs. People will help you in the arena. They'll be tripping over each other to sponsor you. No more than you, I say. Peter rolls his eyes at Hamish. She has no idea the effects she can have. He runs his fingernails along the wood and grain in the table, refusing to look at me. What on earth does he mean? Peter help people help me? When we're dying of starvation, no one helped me. Except Peta, once I had something to barter with that changed. I'm a tough trader, or am I? The effect do I have? I'm not I'm, that I'm weak and needy.
he is he just suggesting that I I get I is he suggesting that I got good deals because people pitied me? I'm trying to think if this is true. Perhaps some merchants have been a little generous in their tra- trades, but I always attributed that to their long-standing relationship with my father. Besides, my game is first class. No one pitied me. I glower at the role. Sure, he meant to insult me. After a while, after after about a minute of this, Hamish says, Well then, well, well, well. Katniss, there's no guarantee there's going to be bows and arrows in the arena. But t- during your private sessions with the game makers, show them what you can do. Until then, stay clear of archery. Are you any good at trapping? I know I may, I know a few basic snares, I mutter. That might be a good significant in terms of food, says Hamish. And Peta, she's right. Never underestimate the strength in the arena. Often, physical fa- power tilts the advantage to a player in the training center they will have weights but don't reveal how much you can lift in front of the other tributes the plans are safe for both of you you go into group training spend time trying to learn something you don't know throw a spear swing a mace learn to die a decent knot save showing what you're best at until your private sessions are we clear says hamish peter and i nod one last thing in public i want you to stay by each other's side every minute says peter says hamish we both we both start to object, but Hamish slams his hand on the table. Every minute, it's not open for discussion. You you agree to do as I said. You will be together. You will appear amenable to each other. Now, get out. Meet Effie in the elevator at 10 for training. I bite my lip and walk and stalk back to my room, making sure that Hamish, making sure Peter can hear the door slam. I sit on the bed, hating Hamish, hating Peta, hating myself for mentioning that day long ago in the rains. It's such a joke. Peta and I get along pretending to be friends, talking up each other's strength, insisting we take credit for their abilities, because if at some point we're going to have to knock it off and accept that we're bitter adversaries. And I'll be prepared to do that right now if it wasn't for Hamish's stupid instruction that we have to stick together in training. It's my own fault, I guess, for telling him that he didn't have to coach us separately. But that didn't mean I wanted him to do I didn't want to do every I wanted to do everything with PETA, who, by the way, clearly doesn't want to be partnering up with me either. I hear PETA's voice in my head. She has no idea the effect she can have on people. Obviously he meant to demean me, right? But a tiny part of me wonders if it was a compliment. Maybe he that he maybe was appealing in some way. It's weird how much he's noticed me, like the attention he's paid to my hunting, and apparently I have not been oblivious to him as I imagined either. The flower, the wrestling. I kept track with. I have kept track of the boy with the bread. It's almost ten. I clean my teeth and smooth back my hair again. Angry, anger temporarily blocked out my nervousness about meeting the other tributes, but now I can feel anxiety rising again. By the time I meet Effie and Peter. At the elevator, I catch myself biting my nails. I stop at once. The actual training rooms are below ground, uh, are the below ground level of our building. With with these elevators, the ride is less than a minute. The doors open into an enormous gymnasium full with various weapons and obstacle courses. Although it's not yet ten, we're the last ones to arrive. The other tributes gathered in a tent circle. They each have cloth squares with dis- their district numbers 
pinned on their shirts. While someone pins the number 12 on my back, I do a quick assessment. Peter and I are the only two dressed alike. As soon as we join the circle, the head trainer, a tall athletic woman named Atla, steps steps up and begins talking about the training schedule. Experts in each skill will remain at their stations. We will be free to travel from area to area as we choose. Her our mentor's instructions. Some of the stations will teach survival skills, others fighting techniques. We are forbidden to engage in any combative exercise with another tribute. There, there are assistants on hand if we want to practice with a partner. Anatla begins to read down the list of skill stations. My eyes can't help flitting around the other tributes. The first time we've all been assembled on level ground in simple clothes. My heart sinks. Almost all the boys and at least half the girls are bigger than I am. Even though many of the tributes have never been fed, fed properly, you can see their bones and skin, how hollow they look in their eyes. And I may be smaller naturally, but overall, my family's res- resourcefulness has given me an edge in the arena. I stand straight while I'm standing strong. The meat from the plants in the woods, combined with the exhaustion that it took to give them, has given me a healthier body than most of those I've seen around me. The expectations are the kids with. The exceptions are the kids with from wealthier districts, the volunteers, the ones who have been fed and trained throughout their whole lives for this moment. The tributes from 1, 2, and 4 traditionally have this look about them. They're technically against the rules to train tributes before they reach the capital, but it happens every year. District 12, we call them the career tributes, or just the careers. And like, and like, and like as not, the winner will be one of them. The slight advantage is I held coming to the training center as my fiery entrance last night seemed to banish the presence of my competition. The other tributes were jealous of us, not because they, we were amazing, because our styles were. Now I see nothing but contempt glances of the career tributes. Each of them must have been 50 to 100 pounds on me. They, 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 pro- they project arrogance and brutality. When Outlaw releases us, they head straight for the deadliest-looking weapons in the gym and handle them with ease. I th- I'm thinking it's luckily that I'm fast runner With Pete and- when Pete nudges my arm and I jump. He's still beside me. Per Hamage instructions, his expression is sober. Where would you like to start? I look around at the career tributes who are showing off, clearly trying to imitate the field. When the others are uh, the other f- underfed and incont- incompetent, the shakily having their first lessons with a nice... A for an X. Suppose we should tie some knots, I say. Right you are, says Pete up. We cross to an empty station where the trainer seems pleased to have students. You can feel that feeling that knot tying class is not the Hunger Games hotspot. When when he realizes that I know something about snares, he shows a sim- he shows us a simple excellent trap that will leave a human competitor dangling by a leg from a tree. We concentrate on the skill for an hour until both of us have mastered it. Then we move on to camouflage. Peta generally seems to enjoy the station, swirling a combination of mud and clay and berry juices around his pale skin, weaving disguises from vines and leaves. The trainer who runs the camouflage station is full of enthusiasm at his work. I do cakes, he admits to me. The cakes? I ask. I have been preoccupied with watching the boy from District 2 send a spear through a dummy's heart from 15 yards. What cakes? At home, the ice ones for the bakery, he says. He means the ones that are on display in the windows. Fancy cakes with flowers and pretty things painted in frosting. They're for birthdays and New Year's Day. 
when we're in the square, Prim always drags me to admire them, even though we've never been able to afford one. There's always, there's, there's little enough beauty in District 12, though, so I can hardly deny her this. I look more critically at the design on Peta's, Peta's arm. The alternating pattern of the lights and the dark suggested sunlight falling through the leaves of, in the, le- the leaves in the woods. I wonder if he knows this since I doubt he's ever been beyond the fence. How's he, he been picked this up by just the scraggly old apple tree in his backyard? Somehow the whole thing and his skills, those unaccessible cakes, the praise for the camouflage expert annoys me. It's lovely, only if you could frost someone to death, I say. Don't be such don't be so superior. You can never tell when you what you can find in the arena. Arena. Say it's actually a gigantic cake, begins PETA. Say we move on, I break in. The next three days pass with PETA and I going quiet quietly from station to station. We do pick up some valuable skills, from starting fires to knife throwing by making a shelter. Despite Hamish's order to prepare metaphors, PETA excels in hand-to-hand combat, and I sweep the edible plants test without blinking an eye. Where we steer clear of archery and weightlifting, though, we want to... S- Wanting to save those for our private sessions. The game makers appear early on the first day. Twenty or so men and women dressed in deep purple robes. They sit on an elevated stands that surround the gymnasium. Sometimes wondering about to watch us jotting down notes. Other times eating the endless banquet that has been set for them, ignoring the lot of us. But they do seem to be keeping their eye on District 12 trivia. Several times I've looked up to find one of them fixated on me. They consult with the trainer during our meals as well. I see them gathered together when we come back. Breakfast and dinner are served on the floor, but lunch, the 24 24 of us eat in the dining room in the gymnasium. The food is arranged on carts around the room, and you serve yourself. The career tributes tend to gather rattly around the table, provide as to pr- prove their superiority, that they have no fear of one another, and to consider the rest of us beneath notice. Most of the other tributes sit alone, like lost sheep. No one says a word to us. Peter and I eat together, and since Hamish keeps dragging out about it, I try to keep a friendly conversation during the meals. It's not easy to find a topic. Talking of home is painful. Talking about the president is unbearable. unbearable. One day, Peter empties our, th- our bread basket and points out, have they been careful to include types from the districts with redefined bread from the capital? The fish-shaped loaf tinted green and seaweed from District 4. The crescent moon roll dotted with seeds from District 11. Somehow, although it's the same stuff, it looks a lot more appetizing than the ugly drop biscuits that are the standard fare from home. And there you have it, says Peter, scooping up the breads back into the basket. You certainly know a lot. I only know a lot about bread. Okay. Now laugh if I've said something funny, he says. We both give a somewhat convincing laugh and ignore the stares from around the room. All right, I'll keep smiling pleasantly while you talk, says Peter. You're both. It was wearing us both out. Hamish's direction to be friendly. But because I've. Ever since I've slammed the door, there's been a chill air between us. But then we have orders. Did I ever tell you about the time I was chased by a bear? I ask. No, but it sounds fascinating, says Peta. I try to animate my face as 
As I recall the event, a true story, which I foolishly challenged a black bear over the rights to a beehive. Peter laughs and asks questions right on cue. He's much better than this, at this than I am. On the second day, while we were taking a shot at spear throwing, he whispers to me, I think we have a shadow. I throw my spear, and I'm not too bad, actually. If I don't, if I ha- don't have to throw it too far, the, I s- and see the little girl from District 11 standing behind, standing back a bit, watching us. She's tw- she's the 12-year-old, the one who reminded me so of Prim in the stature. So close up, she looks about 10. She has bright, dark eyes and satiny brown skin and stands up tilted on her toes with her arms slightly extended to her sides, as if not ready to as if ready to take a wing at the slightest sounds. It's possible to not think of a bird. I pick up another spear while Peter throws. I think her name is Rue, he says softly. I bite my lip. Rue is a small yellow flower that grows in the meadow. Rue, primrose. Neither of them could tip the scale of at 70 pounds of soaking wet. What can we do about it, I ask him more harshly than I intended. Nothing to do, he says, just making conversation. Now I know that she's there. It's hard to ignore the child. She slips up and joins us at different stations, like me. She's clever with plants and climbs swiftly, but has good aim. She can hit the target every time with a slingshot, but with the slingshot against a 220-pound male with a sword? Back at District 12... Back on the District 12 floor, Hamish and Effie grill us throughout breakfast and dinner about every moment of the day. What did what we did? Who watched us? The, how the other tributes sized up? Cinna and Portia weren't around, so there was no one to add the sanity to the meals. Not that Hamish and Effie are fighting anymore. Instead, they seem to be one mind, determined to whip us into shape, full of endless directions about what we should do and about what we should do and not do in training. Peter's more patient. I become fed up and surly. When we finally escape to go to bed on the second night, Peter mumbles, someone ought to get Hamish a drink. I make a sound so between a snort and a, and a laugh. I catch myself. It's messaging. It's messing with my mind, too, trying to keep it straight when we're supposed to be friendly and when we're not. At least when I get into the arena, I'll know where we stand. Don't. Don't. Let's pretend there's... Don't. Don't. Let's pretend when no one's around. All right, Countess, he says tiredly. After that, we only talk in front of people. On the third day of training, they start to call us out of our lunch for our private sessions. The game makers, by district by district, first the boy, then the girl tribute. As usual... As usual, District 12 is slated to kill us. We linger in the dining, unsure where else to go. No one comes back once they have left. As the room empties, the pressure appears friendly, lightens up, but then by the time they call Rue, we are left alone. We sit in silence until they summon Pita and he rises. Remember what Hamish said about being make sure to throw weights when the words come in my mouth without permission? Thanks, I will, he says. You shoot straight. I know I'm, I don't know what, I don't know why I said anything at all, as if though I'm gonna lose. I'd rather Pita win than the others, better for our district and my mother and Prim. 
After about 15 minutes, they call my name. I smooth my hair. I set back, set my shoulders back and walk into the gymnasium. I instantly know I'm in trouble. They've been here too long. The game makers sat through 23 other demonstrations, had too much wine, and most of them want more than anything to go home. There's nothing I can do but continue with the plan. I walk over to the archery station. Oh, the weapons. I've been itching to get my hands on them for days. Those made of wood and plastic and metal materials. I can't even name the arrows with feathers that cut with flawless uniform hat lines. I choose my bow, string it, and then sling the matching quiver of arrows over my shoulder. There's a shooting range, but it's much too limited. Standard bullseyes and human silu silhouettes. I walk over to the center of the gymnasium and pick my first target, a dummy used for knife practice. Even as I pull on the bow, I know something's wrong. The string's tighter than the one I used back home. The air was more rigid. I missed the dummy by a couple of inches and lose what little attention I had been commanding. For a moment, I'm humiliated. I pull, I head back to the bullseye. I shoot again and again until I get the feel of these new weapons. Back in the center of the gymnasium, I take my initial position in the scooter and skewer the dummy right through the heart. And then I sever a rope that holds the sandbox for boxing, and the bag splits open and slams to the ground. Without pausing, I shoulder roll forward and come up on one knee. And then I send an arrow through the hanging lights and high above the gymnasium floor. A shower of sparks burst from the fixture. It's excellent shooting. I turn to the game makers. A few of them are nodding approval, but the majority of them are fixated on a roast pig that's just arrived in their banquet table. Suddenly, I'm furious. With my that with my life on the line, and they don't even have the decency to pay any attention to me. I'm that I'm being upstaged by a dead pig. My heart sets. My heart's pounding. I can feel my face burning. Without thinking, I pull an arrow from my quiver and send it straight at the game maker's table. I hear shouts and an alarm of people stumble back. People stop lean back. The arrow skewers the apple in the pig's mouth and pins it to the wall behind. Everyone stares at me in disbelief. Thank you for your consideration, I say. Then I give a slight bow and walk toward the exit without being dismissed.